Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. Uh, much better than both a week ago and about five minutes ago. <laughs> very good. I'm glad to hear it. So your week wasn't hashtag blessed? <laughs> it was <laughs> Well, interesting question. It was uh, fun reflecting on blessings uh, after last mm-hmm. week's recording. Mm-hmm. And I've had my headspace in the past couple of days on, on uh, curses. Ah, uh, so yeah, maybe that brought you down. It did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shake my fist at the sky. Curses! <laughs> so as the astute listener will know, we're going to talk and round out our discussion on blessing curse. And we're going to dive in and talk about curse this time. Yes. Now, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would recommend doing that because we we sort of set the scene a lot more there. In retrospect, Frank, it would have made sense to have recorded the Blessing the Curse episodes just together. You know what I mean? Rather than waiting. Just in one sitting. Yeah, rather than waiting a week between them. That's a good point. We we set the scene really well on a lot of the background in general of of how the cards work. And we did Mm. mention Curse a little bit during that last session as well. Um, So, yeah. Strongly recommend listening to that episode first and then come back. We'll still be here. We'll wait. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Hit pause, scroll down, hit play. Okay, bro. Now folks are back. What What is Curse, Frank? Mm. And not just what is Curse, but why do we why find is curse, curse interesting? Yeah, exactly. Why Curse? Who is Curse? Well, the anatomy that we described in the previous episode is useful here again because it helps us break down what a curse token is just like a blessed token when you reveal a curse token you remove it from the bag just like a blessed token when you reveal a curse token you draw another one afterwards another token afterwards rather but unlike a blessed token the modifier of a curse token is minus two and in our introductory spiel last week we did i did mention that adding lots of plus twos to the bag is quite a surprise but adding lots of minus twos to the bag is... Minus two is a pretty familiar token, I would say. We'd, we've come across lots of minus twos. And it stands out in my head as a, a number because playing on standard, being two up is a normally a good sort of uh, threshold to be at. So in a way, when we look at curse, it's like, oh, it's just a lot more minus twos. What's so bad about that? But the fact that they're rolling is what makes them pretty nasty yes yes so interestingly my experience of curse feels and i guess i know why but i'll say it anyway uh, it feels like i fail much more tests because of curse than tests i pass because of bless Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you think that's a that's a legitimate observation yes i think that is as i think you, you you plan you plan for say a two over or even a four over, it's much easier for a curse to scupper that plan than the tests where you plan for two over and then you draw a bless and then a minus three or something like that. Yeah, and I know last episode we said we'd avoid maths. Yeah. But I'm going to dive in with a small oh, yeah. example that hopefully will help. So imagine the chaos bag is 20 tokens with with one curse in there. So you've got a 5% chance of pulling that single curse that's it yeah the range of other tokens in there is your usual 
plus one all the way down to minus four. And we'll say as well, for ease of maths, there's a minus three, a minus four, and an auto fail. So if I go two up on a test, only three tokens will fail me, which is really useful for our maths. You say 85% chance of success is really nice. And if I go four up, only one token will fail me, the auto fail. So it's a 95% chance of success. That's really nice. But adding that single curse in there means that there's a possibility if we go two up that we pull a curse and then pull a minus four and we're at minus six or pull a curse and pull a minus two and we're at minus four. So that single curse, that 5% chance of hitting the curse takes a whole um, range of other tokens and makes them worse than they should be, which makes sense because we're adding one negative to another negative. It gets worse or it gets lower. Let's not, let's not assign a value judgment to, to that. But, but yeah, so where we were at two up and saying we're going to pass on 85% of the tokens, suddenly there's this weird gray area introduced where we're going to pass on 80% of the tokens because one of those remaining four tokens, the curse, might turn a lot more of the other tokens into fails as well. And that's, I think, where you end up with these sudden dips. And even now, actually, in my experience of playing in one three-player group, we started talking about factoring in passing with one curse as a way of playing. So if normally we wanted to be four up, we'd then say, I'm going to go six up because I I can handle a single curse then. You know, even if there were situations where, for whatever reason, someone's value went really high over the target, maybe they're not committing a load of cards, but maybe they're using a big weapon or whatever it is. We'd even then say, okay, you're eight up, so you can handle two curses and a something else. And it just became a new way of talking about the mathematics. One of the other things you introduced last episode was that idea of blessing curse adding more decision points. And I think it's one of the things I've seen the most playing with curse is talking about it could be only one or two tokens, but it can make a really big impact on how you plan for your tests. Yeah. How was my maths? Was it was it too much? <laughs> I think that's good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all the mathematically minded listeners will write in and let me know what I've got wrong, what I've missed. <laughs> yeah. So one of my my favourite memes is um, the quickest way to get the right information is to say the wrong on the internet is to say the wrong thing. People. <laughs> yeah, that's been four years of the podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If we start with this point that curse is more interesting than bless in some way. Yes, I'm firmly on team curse, by the way. I think I've had much more fun with curse than I have with bless. Tell the listener why. Why is that? Well, that's the question I was going to try and ask you. Why have I had more fun um, with curse than I have with bless? I think we, we were chatting a bit before we started. And one of the things I enjoy most about Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game, is... Those like big meaty turns where everyone you're in you're almost in a pickle and you need to try and like work your way out of it. It's just trying to solve a puzzle. It's the same reason I love stuff like Gloomhaven. You get those turns in Gloomhaven where you know everything looks terrible and you're just trying to pick your way to the least bad solution. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, Curse seems to create those situations uh, more. And certainly when we've been playing, we've we've kind of had those complicated situations coming up and there's a lot of talk around the table how many curses we put in the bag what's the right number of curses we mentioned decision points when we talked last week and i think that's probably what it is 
I've always liked that trade-off of doing something bad to yourself for an additional positive benefit. Mm -hmm. So curse gives you lots of decisions to make around that. How much bad stuff do you do to yourself in order to gain the tempo boost from, you know, either cost saving or additional effects that result uh, that result from it? I think that's really why I like curse. And I think if curse is intrinsically a bad token, which I think we can say safely that it is, it almost fabricates more of those decision points for you. When you're saying, oh, should I pay two resources to play Keep Faith and add four Bless? Yeah, you're losing resources for Bless, but the Bless is a good thing. But if you flip it on its head and do the example we gave last... Oh, I'll do a different example. Do we want two Curse for me to draw three cards with this deep knowledge? Yeah. It's hard to assess exactly how bad those two Curse will be or exactly how good those three cards will be. And so it becomes a juicy decision point. And it becomes even juicier when you think, well, I might not even draw those curses. Someone else might. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or that, that person drawing the cards might want to draw curses. Drawing the, the token, sorry, might want to draw curses. Yeah, and that's where team curse starts to shine, isn't it? It's where everyone has some interaction with curse in that way. I think the other thing is it, it, it forces you more. And actually, when we talk about some of the cards... But we'll get into this. I think it does force you more to a, to adapt to the style of play. If if I'm playing a bless deck, you know, at worst, you could ignore bless altogether when you make your deck and just accept that it's going to help you pass some tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With curse, you kind of have to have a plan for how you're going to deal with all this curse I'm putting in the bag. Yeah. So I I think it 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 forces that interaction much more than um, than Bless does. It forces you to engage with the system a bit more, which I really like. And I think it it, it forces you to do some joint team building uh, or deck building in your team. So you're considering what I'm putting in my deck and vice versa. Um, and I think those are kind of fun in-between game conversations. I like those. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely in that if it can encourage you to communicate with your team before play has even begun and your deck building that's for the good i think yeah can i make it can i make a off the wall comparison here go on the thing it puts me a little bit in mind of is the otters in root okay <laughs> because and bear with me here i think the otters force you to engage with what's one of the most fun systems in in that game which is kind of a, a negotiation and the political maneuvering around the table I mean, we've done an episode about Root. We both love Root. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, go and listen to that. I think the game really shines, not when you're playing purely mechanically, looking at your own parts, but when you're trying to play other factions off against each other. Yeah. And that yeah. is at part of the Root, no pun intended, of how the Otters play, because they, they want to be selling stuff from their shop. They want to be analysing what everyone else is doing and setting their prices such that it seems, you know, it, it, it helps their economy get going. So other players are buying stuff off you out of your shop and you're like there chatting to people saying, oh, well, if you do this by buying this off me, then that means it's bad for this player because of X, Y and Z. I think the root analogy goes further than that as well in that buying things off the otters is handing them actions down the line. (laughs) It is, yeah. So it is explicitly a bad thing to do. It's a little bit like adding curse to the bag to get an immediate payoff. Yeah, yeah. And it's about hitting that sweet spot as the otters to make it seem worthwhile. Even though you know you're doing a bad thing, buying from the otters, 
you shouldn't buy from the otters. Yet it's like, yeah, but the deal is good enough. I will buy from the otters this turn because it's going to give me, it's going to get me into a better position in terms of board state, in terms of the the whole game. And the the otters are like Maxine and Jeremy and trying to pitch curse to you at the best possible. I'm I'm rubbing my fingertips together. It's like like kind of juicy deal that they're trying to land. I think that's a really good example. I think an Arkham example I was trying to think of when you were talking about the impact on deck building. And I wondered about someone like Min. Yeah. Imagine I say I'm going to play with you and I build a Min deck and you turn up to the table and you've put no cards that you're going to commit in your deck. Maybe your plan is to just build your stats up really high and rarely commit cards. Yeah, yeah. Like... You can do that. You can. It's just that Min is basically blank at that point. And the better way of doing it is saying, right, well, okay, you're going to be Min, so how am I going to get that wild icon from my commitments every turn? How many cards am I going to commit? How am I going to make sure that that's a part of the way that I play? And you do that in the deck building stage. Yeah, I think there's something the same with Curse. You can turn up to the table. No one's got any token stuff and then one player's gone really heavily into curse but that's basically a general bad effect for the whole team for probably a fairly limited good effect for one player probably that's cool <laughs> should we okay. talk about uh, oh i tell you what we haven't talked about is the factions yeah we haven't we mentioned last week that guardian and survivor tied in certainly mechanically to to bless for for curse, uh, rogue and seeker are the two that really are. Um, they've got the most cards associated with them. I think. Let's have a look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Hashtag numbers. Yeah, it's a bit woollier than that actually, which is kind of intriguing because Mystic also have has some. Mystic has three cards that add curse in some way, and Seeker has three cards that add curse. Unless I feel like I'm forgetting one from that list that Seeker only has three, but I think it's only three. I think what's interesting is that the let's pick up three of these cards in particular Deep Knowledge, Stirring Up Trouble and Faustian Bargain give you um, cards, clues and money in exchange for curse tokens so to me they are the workhorses of of a curse build and that's well, this is why you picked Trish when we build our curse team, right? Because she gets rogue and she gets secret cards Yeah so, yes, the weird thing is, I guess, that the, the what feels to me like the curse payoff cards, if you will, are the the spell suite. Mm. There's other cards mm. as well, particularly like the the co- various covenants and things like that. And Tristan, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great card, but if you mm-hmm. pull two curses, you play him for free, right? Three curse or bless. Three, is it three? Yeah, pretty sure it's three. It just feels like that they don't necessarily have payoff effects to the same extent as Guardian does for Bless. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going with that. That's I think that's a, but I think that's a good good acknowledgement here. So like, let's just look at Seeker. You can yeah. add curses from the Grimoire, Deep Knowledge, or Stirring Up Trouble. So it's it's effectively it's it's super simple to add curses while mm-hmm. doing good stuff right yeah yeah and then the payoff for seeker you've got the leveled up grimoires that want you to see curses but they don't add curses 
And you've got Gaze of Uraksh as well. You know, do lots of Tesla's damage if there are enough curses in the bag. You've got Stygian Eye, give yourself a big boost to your stats. And you've got Fey, which is kind of a weird, <laughs> if you see a curse, you get it back to hand, but maybe you failed the test. So they're very straightforward with how they add curse. And then it seems a little bit knottier with how they interact with those. Or it seems like the higher level seeker cards that deal with curse want a lot of curse in the bag and they're not necessarily the best at putting that curse in there. Yeah. So already, I suppose, when we compare it with Bless, you could do Bless all in one faction and probably do a pretty good job of both adding and using. Whereas already it feels a little bit more like there's more interaction between the factions about how curse works. And the example you just gave, maybe you want your seeker rogue to be adding curse and your mystic to be using curse with the spell suite. So straight away there's um, a clash there. Or maybe you're playing as, say, Luke or Daisy and using your seeker access to add curse and your mystic access to riff on that curse. Yeah. And I, I like that it's not quite as well-defined, I suppose. The other thing I'd add here, we've mentioned Temp Fate last week, but there are also both weaknesses and a scenario. Yes. Yeah, I think it's okay to say that at this point, that interact with Curse. I won't go into any of the details of the scenario, but, you know, we've got Dread Curse, Revelation, add five Curse to the bag, and there's a Cursed Follower. It spawns a long way away from you and just gently drips Curse into the bag. Those are, I would say, on the milder side in terms of weaknesses. Certainly Dread Curse is not necessarily the worst, but it means as well that you could build a deck and then add your basic weakness and suddenly you'd have a curse-related deck that you didn't necessarily want to have. I think it's, I think it's striking because it means curse might show up without, without your volition. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's interesting that, isn't it? Mm. I thought, and we'll go into this in some detail in, the, in a future episode, mm. one of the most interesting bits of that scenario was some of the chaos token effects and how they interacted with Curse. Yeah. And that really made us pay attention to Curse in the bag, how much is in the bag, and and, and probabilities of drawing them. Mm. Um, and you probably know what I'm talking about if you've played the scenario, and you've got a nice surprise if you haven't yet when you do play the scenario. But yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And, it, and again, it, it was, was really a way of forcing us to engage with that mechanic with all the cards. I mean, you know, you, you see all the cards coming out, and it in the cycle, maybe you haven't used them, maybe you're not quite sure what to make of Curse and Bless. That scenario is like a little taster, forces you to, to try with it, try it and, and see how you feel mm. about it. Um, this and is what they feel like. Maybe yeah. a chance to then go and explore those cards, the player cards, by yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might end up in that situation where you're taking an important test and you draw Curse, 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 minus one, and you've yeah. just drawn a minus yeah. seven. Yeah, And it's like, oh my goodness, Curse is a horrible that's so bad when that happens but you might also get through that scenario and be like oh well i i went six up rather than four up for all my important tests and i got through it okay yeah so you could probably have both of those experiences that we've already outlined or you know you're in a situation where you pull those four curses sometimes drawing that that third or fourth curse it's like well at least it's out of the bag now. <laughs> I'd already well, failed after pulling the first curse, so I might as well try and pull as many as I can. We played last week, uh, we played the finale of Innsmouth Conspiracy, my three-player group, and Nathaniel has Dread Curse as his basic weakness. Right. And we were doing nothing with Bless or Curse in that team. 
Yeah. It was the last card in his deck, so he added five curse to the bag, and then he looped his deck and I think drew a second card in the looped deck. So we went straight up to 10 in the space of about a turn. But he got hit by a, a treachery that was, you know, a willpower three test or something like that. It was, you know, a test that he thought, I'm probably failing this anyway. And he drew curse, 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 elder sign. Which was still right. a fail, but he he cleared four of the five curses from the first red curse just in one test, and he was like, "Look, I'm, I'm helping. You know, I, I did put them in, but I've got rid of a load of them." We were like, "Okay, you know, it it didn't seem like it had too big an impact overall because he just shedded them straight out again, which is yeah, it's funny." So yeah, so we we started talking about the factions. I suppose what I'd like to know is thematically. Why are Seeker Mystic and Rogue connected to Curse? Or what does what does Curse mean for them as factions, if if anything? To me, I, I think Seeker is probably the most direct um, in that it it represents like a too much knowledge kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You've read something you shouldn't have, and you're then somehow suffering, whether it's. Uh, it's 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 in your head, <laughs> almost like mm. a psychosomatic curse, or you've I mean stirring up trouble. The name kind of says it all, really. You're finding clues at the expense of making some people annoyed. Yeah, deep knowledge you've read too much uh, and have have unleashed some kind of curse as a result. Uh, yeah. I think that's probably pretty direct. There's almost an like a feel of with the the gaze, almost a feel of like dark magic. Right, mm-hmm. so how bad it gets better when things are worse, mm. and actually with the upgraded cryptic grimoire as well, you can stop drawing encounter cards or start playing things more. It's it's almost like the 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 whole atmosphere is infused with bad magic, yeah. and that seems to be giving you power. Then you're not quite sure what you've unlocked, but it's something potent. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that I, I like that aspect of it that the seeker might be rummaging in things they shouldn't be rummaging in, but part of the payoff for them is is this power. Yeah, they might fail tests, but they might also then not draw encounter cards anymore or whatever else it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny actually because I think rogues are a really nice counterpoint to this because my impression of rogues with curse is that they don't know what they're dabbling in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if that. they don't, if not, they don't know. They don't care. It's like, yeah, it's bad, but lots of other things can be bad as well. How bad can it really be? And I think that's encapsulated so well in the art on Skeptic. Yeah. The little Cthulhu statuette being crushed under heel. It's like, how bad can it be? Yeah, yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Finally, Mystics. I mean, I think there is a similarity here with Seekers in terms of the connection to dark magic or connection to evil forces right yeah yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say mm. but their their um kind of cursed adding cards are all a bit more complicated than that right i mean promise of power is is a pretty straightforward something bad has to happen to you or your friends but you mm. get some immediate benefit yeah it's like yeah. that the if if we're looking at deep knowledge stirring up trouble and faustian bargain as being like a triad of just generally useful economy cards that add curse Promise mm. of Power sort of fits in there as well. It's mm. the, the fourth mm. part of the trilogy. It's just a lot of icons, but you add two curse. Yeah. No, it's only it's four icons for one Sorry. curse. Sorry, yeah, one curse. Yeah, even better. Yeah. So, yeah. And 
that to me actually is a really good, it's probably even more than Faustian Bargain. It's a really enticing include in a deck because when I need the four icons is when I want to pass a test. Yeah. And I might be able to mitigate that single curse down the line on a test that I'm a lot higher on anyway. That's that's the, the story I sell myself to, or the story I tell myself to sell myself on the card is... <laughs> When I need the four icons, I won't see the curse. And when I see the curse, it won't matter. It won't be as bad, <laughs> But that's yeah. not necessarily true. No, no, um, absolutely not. Especially if it's someone else pulling the curse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've made that decision for them. Yeah. And then mystics have tides of fate. I've put that in there as a, as a curse adder. It, it's kind of not, but it will take curses and turn them into blesses and then turn them back again. Which is just, it's just weird, isn't it? It um, is odd, yeah. I feel like that card is purely useful as a as a kind of combo piece mm-hmm. when you're doing something else tricky with taking tokens in or out of the bag that's probably when you want it you know one thing you could do here which is a nice little two card combo is play tempt fate and you get three of each yes but what you really want is is all curse so then you tides of fate and turn the three curse into three bless so you now have six bless in the bag Yep. And then at the end of the round, they all become curses. Yeah. So you've used Tempt Fate as a zero cost, add six curse to the bag card, but you just had to add another wrinkle to that to get it. Or, you know, Tides of Fate. you use yeah. that as an opportunity to play sealing or removing bless cards. So a Hallow or a Favor of the Sun or something like that. Mm. So you, you swap curse for bless and then you take those bless out the bag and put them somewhere you can use them. Mm. So play that and then play your um, right of sanctification and favor of the sun. Um, yeah, no, but, but I'm saying the opposite of that. Like, yeah, I oh, think yeah, that's no, the I, good I, way to use Tides yeah, of Fate. That's yeah. the good way to use it. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the, like, the, the tricksy way to use it. Adding curse to the bag as a mystic. Yes. Like, yeah, say yeah. I'm playing Jacqueline solo and I want loads of curse in the bag for the curse spell suite. I'm not going to get loads of curse from my two promise of power, but I might from two temp fate and the tides of fate to start turning all the bless into curse so yeah it's a weird one it's a definitely a weird one and of course there's right of equilibrium as well you can put 10 curse in and 10 bless if you really wanted to which when we talk about the covenants maybe that matters and maybe that's a good good point to talk about the covenants now yeah yeah let's do that so we'll start on paradoxical covenant because it's the weird one like we said last week these are two xp permanent cards that are limit one per deck and this one says, after an investigator at your location reveal uh, performs the reveal chaos token step of a skill test, if both a bless and a curse token were revealed during that test, exhaust paradoxical covenant, this test automatically succeeds. Remove each bless and curse token revealed from the chaos bag after this test ends. That's just classic mystic being weirder than everyone else, isn't it? Yeah. So a plus two plus a minus two is not a zero it's an auto succeed. Yes. Yeah, I I mean this is it's interesting. I think you play this in a deck that uses I just feel like this has to be a real team effort <laughs> to build this into a working engine. Mhm. Unless you just put this in like so incidentally you might draw those two tokens. Mhm. If you've got like a a Jacqueline spell suite and you've got a sister Mary in your team together Mm -hmm. maybe you Mm -hmm. put this card into that yeah and there are some curse adding cards like temp fate and like priest of two faiths 
that add both. Yeah. So in in our curse plays, we do sometimes end up with you know three or four bless in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't care for it. We're not doing anything with it. It's just there. So I think if we wanted to use paradoxical covenant, we'd actually probably need to focus a little bit more on how are we adding more bless to make it reliable. Yeah. Where I get stuck with it is that if it's in Mystic, you're probably taking your tests at between about four and six just as a starting point. Mm. And the score of zero on the Bless and Curse is still going to pass you. So turning it into an auto success is not... I mean, you're really just saying, let's stop there, aren't you? Let's not reveal any more tokens. Yeah. We'll just call it an auto success. I guess... So So what I could see is in our party where we've got Trish adding tokens, Jacqueline using them, you could add a third player to the party... Um, and add, say, mm. a Sister Mary, who's able to put Bless into the back. Because as we said last week, mm. Bless, it doesn't it doesn't change the tokens you would draw, right, without the Bless. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you always draw another token whenever you draw a Bless. Yeah. So it doesn't reduce the number of Curse tokens you draw because you put more Bless in the bag. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because both of them roll. Yeah. I think my, my logic stands up there. No, I, I think it does, yeah. yeah. It's the same as the Gloomhaven rolling modifiers. Yeah. Your your modifier deck might end up with loads of extra cards in it, but those cards roll on. So yeah. it's your deck, so, you know, the, the, the odds of seeing a non-rolling card stays the same. It's a weird thing where if you have advantage in Gloomhaven, uh, rolling becomes worse. Mm, yeah. And becomes better if you've got disadvantage. Anyway. Uh, that's for a separate podcast. Yeah, it doesn't become explicitly worse because if you draw, you just combine it with whatever you draw next. Yeah, it, what it means is it only becomes worse if you are using advantage to not auto fail. Well, exactly. Yes, I would yeah. say that is it becomes worse. You miss out on that option, but then not on anything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Interesting. Yeah, there is, is there is podcast. also a mechanic called curse. In Gloomhaven. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the other the other thing to compare this to is when you explore in Arkham. And yeah. when you're exploring to find a connected location, any location you reveal that's not connected is a rolling card. Yes. So yes. you can work out your likelihood of succeeding where you work out the total number of connected locations, the total number of treacheries, and then whatever percentage they each are is your chance. So if there are three treacheries and two connected locations, you've got a 60% chance of failing. And it doesn't matter if you draw rolling location, rolling location, rolling location, treachery, or just treachery, it was still 60% because they're essentially not counted. Anyhow, where do you want to go next? Seeker or or rogue? Yeah, I don't know whether we'd fully address the weirdness of of Mystic, but but I'm happy to move on because it's, it's probably an episode in itself. Um, yeah, Maybe. and we do have a question coming up later from a listener that I think Paradoxical Covenant will rear its confusing head. Well, okay. Hit, hit me with the Seeker then. Seeker is Blasphemous Covenant. When an investigator at your location reveals a curse token during a skill test, exhaust Blasphemous Covenant, treat that token's modifier as plus one instead of its normal modifier. After this test ends, return that token to the Chaos Bag. So if we jump back to our anatomy of a token, yeah. the modifier changes from minus two to plus one. Pretty good. The removal 
<laughs> is got rid of. And instead of being removed, the token still returns to the bag. And the rolling nature of the chaos token stays in place. So you've got a rolling plus one rather than a rolling minus two. Yes. I mean, I think this is in that particular build where you've got someone who's using cards that like like curse tokens being drawn. This is good, right? Because it, yeah. it, it, it still triggers anything that triggers on drawing a curse, but it reduces the the impact on your skill test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've sort of just this described is... what the card does here. <laughs> yeah, but this is one of the places but, but where the, I mean. <laughs> the, the team effort comes, comes... It's also... Yeah, it's the team element and the real seeker identity comes across for me. The seekers are willing to delve into dangerous things if it means an immediate impact or immediate positive effect. And it really sums it up with the Blasphemous Covenant. They they don't get rid of the curse. They're willing to punt that down the road a little bit further that the curse might be bad later for them or someone else in the team. And in the meantime, they get the plus one. And I think what you were adding was that, like, why would I ever want to keep a curse in the bag? And of course, you might want to keep it because the person who's drawn the curse doesn't want to see curses but someone else does want to see curses. So then it, it becomes a useful, a little bit like the Sacred Covenant. It's a way of keeping these special tokens in the bag for you. Just It just does it in a in a nicer way in terms of modifier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we have the False Covenant, the Rogue Covenant. This really ties in for me with the theme of what rogues are doing. So when an investigator at your location reveals a curse token during a skill test, exhaust False Covenant cancel that chaos token, return it to the token pool, and reveal another token. So big fat nope, you pull a curse, you still essentially get the rolling of the curse, yeah. because you draw another token, but you don't get the minus two modifier, and it does get removed straight away. So the bit that you get rid of is the modifier. Yeah, yeah. So one thing you could be thinking of doing is say playing your Faustian bargain and have the false covenant. And you know that as long as you don't reveal both of those curses in the same test, you can essentially ignore those curses. So it's like all of the potential downside of putting two curses in the bag for five resources is mitigated by false covenant. You just go, yeah, and I'll just ignore that when that happens. (laughs) And I really like that it actually is... I mean, all of the covenants are when an investigator at your location, apart from the sacred, which has an even bigger area of effect. But potentially that could be the rogue's role, that they're taking false covenant to say, when we get when we get to curses, I will help mitigate how bad they are, because I just don't believe in them. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, once a turn, a curse just will get removed from the bag if we see it. Yeah Which is a completely different style, I'd say, from what we have been doing with trying to use curses for additional effects but i'm really i'm really keen to do maybe a leo deck with some curse related rogue cards and then nice guardian cards and something like the false covenant to just say i'm going to use curse to make big money which you know guardians like anyway and then i'm gonna ignore them i think one of the the interesting side effects of all of the 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 covenants that require to be at the same location is that it it encourages teams to stick together right Mm. Mm -hmm. because covenants are permanent but they're almost like a team-wide buff that interact with how you've changed the chaos bag yeah so so 
as long as you were able to be at the location where people are drawing the tokens. So I, mm-hmm. I feel a bit like it has that impact of, of forcing the team to stick together. They're like an aura, right? It's like yeah. stick with me in this in this force field or this aura, and I'll I'll do X or Y. Yeah, yeah. And if you want the seeker and the rogue covenants together for for, for additional curse mitigation, you both need to be standing in the same place, and only one person <laughs> yeah. can run each covenant. So mm. if you want multiple yeah. ones, either the the two blessed ones or the two cursed ones, uh, you need to have two people willing to take them. Yes. I think yeah, what I yeah. find really wild is that you can because of the way that it's it's a purely bag related mechanic, you could have no curse or or um bless token cards in your deck, either that are adding them or triggering off them, but still put a covenant in and have it be useful. If if you're helping someone else mm. in the team. Oh, if there's someone else yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, how? <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So Okay, if you're playing with System Airy and you have access to Ancient Covenant, why not take it and just get those... Give people like a random plus two every so often that just stops. It's yeah. really nice. And the same actually as the Rogue. If the only thing you take is False Covenant and someone ends up with um, Dread Curse. Yeah. Do you remember when we talked about you know how much XP would you spend to mitigate a basic weakness? Two yes. XP as yeah, a Rogue yeah. to exactly, ignore yeah. Dread Curse. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. It's not and bad, it's not even it? taking up a deck slot. No. It's not yeah, it's not ideal, but in fact I was thinking about this before this episode. On a scale of I would never do that to I would always do that, it's probably down at the like unlikely. <laughs> but it's still a thing. <laughs> you yeah. know, just to be clear on how excited I am about that. It's still a thing you could do. Tell us more about the Mystic Spell Suite, because I think I touched a bit on like seeker curse payoff. But what is the mystic curse payoff? Because there's actually a lot of mystic curse-related cards. Yeah, and actually another one, it, it almost feels like a covenant, is uh, Recall the Future, mm. for which you can name curse and cancel a single curse token if you draw it. Mm. Which works pretty well, because the difficulty with Recall the Future is if you've got a lot of a lot of different tokens in the bag. Mm. Yeah, and the ideal situation is to have, say, a lot of skulls in the bag that are quite bad. And then you could just name yeah. skull and turn them one of the passes. When you're up at like eight or nine curses in the bag, it's the most likely token that you'd reveal. Exactly, yeah, and it cancels out a single curse, which is really nice, really nice. Um, and of course, you can double up on recall the future as well. Just to be clear, when you say cancel out, it cancels out its modifier, but obviously yeah. it still rolls. But yeah, well, exactly, yeah, which is sort yeah. of the best of all worlds, right? Because it will still remove itself from the bag. It still triggers yeah. anything, which triggers when you draw a curse, but it doesn't mm-hmm. negatively affect your skill rating. Yeah, and in fact, if I'm playing as the rogue opposite you with False Covenant and I'm just using False Covenant to completely cancel the curse token, mm-hmm. you might want to see the curse for other effects. You just don't yeah. want its modifier. Exactly, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yes, anyway, but moving on from that uh, to the question you actually asked... There are three, uh, well, there's the typical three asset suite of, um, of, of spell assets for mystics uh, with upgraded versions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how they all work is that they do the thing. So there's a, there's a damage one, there's, a, there's a, um, a clue one, investigating one, and there's an evasion one. But they all have an additional effect if you reveal a curse token as part of the resolution of it. 
and more then, damage. Yeah, it's 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 more of the thing, or it's you put an additional curse. You replace the not the curse. You replace the charge you've just spent. So mm-hmm. Armageddon deals one damage. Will deal an additional damage to an enemy or location if you reveal a curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eye of Chaos is a clue. So it's it's a clue at. Is it your location, location or a connecting? Is, no, is it's it just a connecting, just a connecting yeah. location. Shroud of Shadows, that gives like you a move. Yeah, so it already gives you a move for the enemy, but if you reveal a curse, you get a move as well. Right, there we go. I haven't played with Shroud of Shadows yet. I've only played with mm-hmm. the other two. Yeah, it's the tricksiest of them. And then the upgraded versions all give you a plus two willpower boost and are almost exactly the same otherwise but that if a curse token is revealed becomes for each curse token revealed. Yes. So Armageddon, you do that reveal four curse tokens. That's a minus eight, but you're also dealing four damage to an enemy at your location. Yeah. Sorry, just with Armageddon, I said it deals a damage. It deals two damage. So it's as good as yeah. shriveling. Yeah. Yeah. But you get the option of dealing three damage if you draw mm-hmm. a curse token or three plus damage. If you draw multiple curse tokens and you've got the upgraded version. Um, and... Crucially for all of these, the effect of either replacing the charge or the bonus resolution effect is that it happens regardless of whether you pass the test or not. So it's like if if you do draw those first four curse tokens and get the minus eight, it's unlikely you've passed the test without some of the jiggery pokey going on, but Mm -hmm. you will have dealt four damage or, you know, saved four charges. Mm. Have more charges than the card started with, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Again, one of the things that you've said you like about Curse is decision points. And just baked into a card, it feels like the branches when you do or don't see a Curse token just spread out excitingly on these cards. So with Armageddon, there's first the attack, have I hit or not? And then if I see a Curse, am I getting a charge or am I doing a damage? And also have I passed or failed? So lots of different options that immediately occur. Eye of Chaos, I think, is a really fascinating one as well because you're trying to get two clues from your location, but you might reveal two curses, fail at your location, and get two from the next location. You've come out the same. <laughs> if the next location is a high shroud location, that's even better. Yeah. I actually think even without the curse tokens, Eye of Chaos compares pretty favorably to Right of Seeking. Mm-hmm. It costs one more, but it doesn't have the the downside of ending your turn mm. if you pull a special token. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you can't upgrade it if you're using, say, um, Arcane, Re- Arcane Research. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You can't upgrade in it into, way, yeah. into a higher level version of Rite of Seeking. You could, of course, upgrade to a higher level version of Aya Chaos, but the higher level Rite of Seekings are really, really good. Uh, mm. But if, if you're just looking at a lower level version, I think Aya Chaos is a really good replacement for that potentially one more cost to avoid the downside on right of seeking which is is really rough like we plan turns around the downside on that card Mm, mm, yeah and i think the the one extra cost on these cards part of that we've got to think about the fact that really they are uses x charges and then there should be a little asterisk because you know armageddon costs four you get three charges so Mm. that feels worse than the three cost four charges with shriveling but it's three plus charges depending on how many curses you can reveal yeah of course yeah yeah and that potentially they're never-ending cards 
yeah, if you can see the cursors. So it's not just that the, the curse effect is a nice to have for them. It actually becomes what makes them efficient, valuable propositions for your deck that yeah. you're going to somehow try and find those curses and yeah, add them. I was using one with Twilight and it was just blowing your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were like, yeah. oh, I've got two extra charges on this card now. Yeah. You're using Twilight to not spend the charge and then revealing curses, which adds more charges. So you're, you're yeah, you should be running a torrent of power in that deck. Yeah, yeah. Just spend all those charges. And... The other thing that's that's interesting is uh, often the higher willpower mystics, the stat boost from the higher level versions of spells mm. doesn't feel like it helps all that much. Mm-hmm. Like Agnes going from, say, 6 when she's got either level 2 out or, or a rosary out, something like that, or crystal pendulum, go- going from 6 to 8 on the test, I mean, it's nice, but it, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily worth all the experience you've paid for it. Yeah, you might not even want to put in your fearless at that point or your promise of power because you're like, well, that's just overkill here. But with the upgraded uh, cursed spells, the additional stat really helps balance out uh, the curse tokens. If you want to draw a curse token, you're you're already getting minus two to your skill. And Armageddon and I have Chaos and Shroud... Uh, Shroud of Shadows. Mm-hmm. I've my mind went blank there for a second. Because I haven't used it yet. Getting that plus two to your skill, it cancels out the first curse token you draw in mm-hmm. terms of the modifier, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It feels a lot more useful. Yeah, yeah. I think that came up in our first looks as well. It fits into team curse in some way that boosting to a high stat point has a practical benefit based on the fact that you're wrecking the chaos bag. In the way that if I'm playing a succeed by X rogue with a non-curse chaos bag, sometimes I end up succeeding by 10 on a test that I really didn't need to succeed by that amount on. So you actually get added benefit for doing what you were already doing, either as a high stat mystic or as a succeeding by a lot rogue. Yeah, I think that's really nice. I think at this point, much like in the Bless episode, it's worth a little shout out to Favour of the Moon, which we did yeah. Favour of the Sun in the last episode. Again, it's enabler. It doesn't add any curse, but if you have them in there, you can then control the flow of curse. I think that's really important. You could be using it to do something like giving yourself a plus one with the Blasphemous Covenant, but I yeah. think where Favour of the Moon really starts to shine is in Mystic, when you're wanting to see those curse tokens for the cards that we've just described. Favour of the Moon isn't the only way of sealing cards, and I know in our notes you put, does seal really shake things up? We mentioned seal a bit with Bless, with things like Rite of Sanctification and Shield of Faith. We do have Dark Ritual to seal up to five curses and pay to keep them sealed. So, I mean, even more effectively in a way than the False Covenant to just get them locked down. And then there's also the Flute of the Outer Gods. Oh, you yes. can pay yes, X guy, to yeah. CLX if you just want to be a, a loon about it. A Favour of the Moon to me really feels like the, the, the best one because mm-hmm. it it both seals curses for when you don't want to be drawing them mm-hmm. uh, and really lets you control when they, when they come out. Mm. Like with a Bless, the worst that happens is you pass a test by too much, right? If you draw one when you, when you don't want one. With yeah. a Curse, you could fail the test because of yeah. it so being able to put it in the bank 
uh, put those curse tokens there so you can use them only when you exactly want to, I think is even mm-hmm. better yeah. than, than yeah. Favour of the Sun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You could run Favour of the Sun and Favour of the Moon and the Paradoxical Covenant if you were very keen to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a lot of resources and deck slots to just guarantee that you can do this weird pass thing. Yeah, it is, but, yes. Yeah. And importantly with the favours as well, which we talked about in the first look, they're only for your own tests. So also working out in this hypothetical curse team, who's the person who wants to see the curses because they need to run the favour. You can't you can't have everyone seal off some curse around the table and throw them into the one particular person's tests. It has to be your favour of the moon doing that. And they're also unique, so you can't have everyone play favour of the moon and empty the bag of curses and just never reveal them. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a patron write in. Patrons are always entitled to write in and ask us questions, but we had a patron write in and ask us questions specifically about Bless and Curse, so we've saved them for this episode and we thought we'd dive into them now. Peter, first question from Andy. Hi, Andy. If doing multiplayer, is it better to lean to just one token type, i.e. go all in for Curse or Bless, but not both? Well, I think we, we touched on that. Honestly, it's not something I've got experience with, but I've sort of talked myself around to trying it. Mm-hmm. I think it could work. Use the bless to cancel out the curse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Am I answering the question? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's really come up for me throughout all of this discussion in both episodes is that you can put a lot of effort into adding these tokens to the bag. And that can be time-consuming, resource-consuming, card-consuming. And you do want a payoff. And one of the ways that we've talked about one of the reasons why the doing that as a team is so good is that you share that load across the party. Yeah. If you're able to, if you're playing particularly, say, four player, you could have a systemary and that's one of your bless adding plans and someone like a Trish or a Rex who's got access to Seeker and Rogue and is adding loads of curse. And then you've got two other investigators who could be making use of those and you could run a suite of different covenants to to respond to that i think where that's jumping out to me is multiplayer potentially three or four player the idea of trying to do both solo i find very terrifying and the only thing i can think of is solo mateo first five xp on right of equilibrium boom there's your 10 bless and curse in the bag and then you can start riffing on that he could run the cursed spell suite and then various bless payoff cards as well if he wanted to that's the only place I go to. So yeah, I I think we both like when we make decks and teams to have a clarity of purpose. Yeah. And I guess the impression I'm getting is if you're trying to do both, it might Dilute muddy that. the water a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That would be my gut feel. But I don't think there's anything to say it definitely wouldn't work. It probably just needs twice as much thinking going into it, really. Yeah. And maybe your attitude investigator to investigator is oh i just ignore those tokens you know for whatever reason oh i don't care about bless and you're trying not to draw the bless then because there are other people who do care about bless but maybe the sacred covenant is helping with that and just putting them back in yeah yeah so, yeah and the second question at what player count does bless and curse work best and and he adds my spider sense feels it's going to have a sweet spot at two players but i have no idea if that's right 
I can see where um, Andy's coming from with saying the sweet spot at two players because you you'll the trade off is how fast you put them in versus how many people are taking tests. Mm-hmm. Considering your cards, like your covenants, can only be used once a turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've only got six actions per covenant at two players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're up at four players, you have the same covenant potentially, but you've got twice as many actions. You've got four lots of three rather than yeah. just two lots of three. So I can see where yeah. he's coming from. I still think that it's a team based mechanic. So the more of you that play into it, the better. Mm. Um, I just think you'd need to consider the economy of the tokens effectively, how fast they're added to the bag. There's nothing to stop you, for instance, from just copying, basically. So you've got, say, someone adding the tokens, someone spending them, have another person adding and another person spending. Yeah, yeah. So you've got almost two support characters. Um, Mm. You know, maybe you build a min deck that's purely... Staring up trouble and uh, deep knowledge, and then a load of skill cards, and <laughs> just staying in the background, yeah. cursing mm-hmm. everyone and, and, and adding tokens. And then you add someone else who's doing the, the rogue side of it, and then two mm-hmm. people who are actually doing all the stuff supported by the, the backup characters. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the only thing I would say is more difficult is doing it solo. Maybe mm-hmm. you're experimenting with some solo stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you're probably better place to talk about that than I am. But my gut fear would be that it's harder to make it work solo. Yeah, that I think that's right. From my experiments, it is. I think a different thing happens in solo. When I've played solo Mary, I've easily gone up to 10 bless in the bag and I actually can't draw them quick enough for them to key off other cards. So I tried Nephthys in solo and I couldn't get enough bless on Nephthys to start triggering her reliably because I just couldn't take enough tests and see enough bless. Yeah. You then need Favor of the Sun to be able to control seeing the bless to do that. I found that a little bit frustrating. Like, ah, I want this to happen. And obviously if we were playing in four player, the bless would be flying out of the bag because we'd have four times as many tests and Nephthys would be collecting them all happily. So, yeah, no, I think so. I also tried the Cryptic Grimoire in a solo Rex and pretty much the same problem. I can get lots of curse in the bag, but then actually seeing enough curse tokens out of the bag to charge up the upgraded Grimoires, I found really difficult. So that's the where it falls down, I think, in solo. The other thing I'd add is it is another layer of effort, particularly to add Bless, yeah, it's one more burden for the solo deck to carry. With exactly, Curse, it's yeah. slightly different because with Curse, you're normally getting something for adding the Curse. So in that yeah. Rex deck, Faustian Bargain and Deep Knowledge are drawing me cards and getting me resources. So I'm doing what I want to do anyway. It, it doesn't feel like they're extraneous to what the deck is doing. Whereas, yeah, my solo Mateo deck has to keep faith in it. It does have a willpower icon, but it's it's just a cost. It's a two cost and a card slot to to get the bag to the place I want it to be to then do other things. If I don't see them early, the other blessed cards sit doing nothing. And part of the testing I was doing recently, I was running a single Rite of Sanctification in that deck, and I just found that the combination of it taking up an arcane slot and not having Bless guaranteed in the bag at the point at which I see Rite of Sanctification, it was just too much of a hurdle 
to get it to do anything reliably. If I knew someone else was reliably adding bless to the bag, maybe it would be better. But in solo, that's me. Everything has to come out in the right order to make it work. I think anecdotally, to just go back to what you said about party size, we have heard lots of anecdotes of large groups finding it hard to keep a consistent number of the tokens in the bag. Yeah. And I think that's just a a useful anecdotal data point that if what you're really trying to do is have one player, the mystic, see lots of curses, you've got three other players who might help put curses in, but also get in the way of... Yeah, yes. That. They keep drawing the curses and failing their tests. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that for sure. You almost wait to play some of your curse adders until the mystic has a favour of the moon sitting in hand, ready to play. Yeah, yeah. At which point, you know, you play your fast in bargain and immediately seal those two curses because then you control who sees them. Yeah. Which again is nice decision point, play, you know, teamwork thing. But yeah, I'm not adding anything beyond what you've already said. It's definitely team based, I think. So yeah. Well, I hope that answers Andy's Andy's questions. Yeah, and have we got to the bottom of why you find curse fun? Uh not sure. <laughs> yes, I think. It's just fun, isn't it? As ever with these episodes, when there are so many cards, we can't cover everything. So I'm aware that there's other cards and ways of adding bless, like Signum Crucius, that we haven't really explored, and other like mad cards like Lucky Penny, or even you know Token of Faith that we've just not put any time into. Lucky Dice? There's like a weird curse, Lucky oh, Dice. Yeah, God, there is. Yes, yes. There's lots of cards, basically, to explore. So one of the big challenges of doing a podcast can't be fully comprehensive, but I hope you don't mind that, and I hope that at least some of the underpinning thoughts and ideas you can then apply to the other cards or think about where does it fit in as an adder or a payoff, and what place does this card have in in the broader discussion. So hopefully that's what you're getting from this listener. I'd just add that as a Curse of Eons. Man, that was a wild card as well. Two curse turn into a skull. Oh, God, yeah. I want to build a deck around that at some point. Yeah. So that's like a... To me, that's a different... You've got Jim running Two Deep Knowledge, Two Faustian Bargain. Yes. As some of his off-glass. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. running Curse of Eons to... It's like Jim the Rogue. He's ignoring the curses in a way if he can see yeah. two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to run that deck. That sounds so, like so weird. Fun. So weird. <laughs> and you can have Recall the Future as well, obviously. Yeah. 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 So slap that in there. And you can put Song of the Dead in to like yeah. trigger Song of the Dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when you get Favor of the Sun, you know, you draw one. And, and you could even, or you could do the um, Armageddon Eye of Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Or as well. So you, you either turn curses into a skull or, uh, yeah. Who knows? Loony. Loony. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. And hopefully then, I suppose that as a final point, we decided to talk factionally rather than by investigator because there are so many investigators. But hopefully you can take the sense you have of the roles they might play. And actually, it doesn't necessarily come down to investigate. It comes to overlap. And Jim is a good example here of where the Dunwich splash means that you can sneak the tools that that a mystic shouldn't really have access to like Deep Knowledge and Faustian Bargain, into Mystic. And that's where I think Curse and Bless, it's really worth keeping an eye on them for people like Carolyn and Gloria and Amand- uh, Amandy, not Amanda, who have 
choices of different factions or access to lots of different factions because they can start to do some really weird and wonderful things with that. Yeah. They don't have to, you know, Carolyn could just go pure Guardian and go Book of Psalms, Holy Rosary. I'm just going to add, add Bless gently that way. But she could also, if she wanted to, have deep knowledge snuck in there or even stirring up trouble if she needed to add curse to the to the mix so it gets crazy doesn't it yeah yeah very quickly so yeah so i I suppose there's something there about faction access rather than necessarily the faction rather than necessarily the faction of your investigator i mean right well let's let's call it a day i suppose yeah i mean we've spent over the past two weeks we've spent a lot of time talking about Best and curse. Yeah, um, yeah, we, hope, we have. We yeah, have. as you say, Frank. I hope we've given people a flavour of how deep this topic was, and I didn't mm. expect us when we saw the announcement of of the mechanic for a it to be one of my favourite things we've had in Arkham in ages, and b mm. for us to be able to talk as much as we have about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, two episodes dedicated to it, and I feel like we could do another another one easily with stuff we haven't mentioned. Yeah, as we were starting to do then, anyway. Yeah. yeah, to talk in such detail and so convolutedly as we try and like untangle <laughs> all yeah. the different layers of it. I'm I'm really interested to talk to Maxine about it and see how much of this was all predicted and planned out in advance. How mm. much of it just kind of fell in place um, when, when they came up with the mechanic. Mm. Mm. Because it, it is absolutely fascinating. And the differences between Bless and Curse as well. Um, and how differently they feel, I think, is interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. To start from ostensibly the same place and then end in such a different place is great. So, listener, if you want to get in touch, Drawn to the Flame podcast is our email address. We're Drawn to the Flame on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans and Patreon. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Twitter and Discord and Steam and Instagram as D.United. So yeah, say hello. How about you, Frank? Yeah, I'm F-E-B or F-B or Zoe Glass or Zozo around the place. Do say hello as well. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Timothy Holstrom, through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room. And shadowed on a screen I saw hooded forms amidst ruins, and evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments. I explored the cobwebbed attic again and found a carved crumbling chest plainly from Holland, full of blasphemous books and papers far older than any hitherto encountered here. There was a Greek Necronomicon, a Norman-French Livre d'Ebon, and a first edition of old Ludwig Prinz de Vermis Mysteries. But the old bound manuscript was the worst. It was in low Latin and full of strange crabbed handwriting of Chris Watt, being evidently the diary or notebook kept by him between 1560 and 1580. When I unfastened the blackened silver clasp and opened the yellowed leaves, a coloured drawing fluttered out the likeness of a monstrous creature resembling nothing so much as a squid, beaked and tentacled, with great yellow eyes and a certain abominable approximations to the human form in its contours. I feel that's, that's so like Lovecraft.
Yeah. It's an old book, and inside there was a, a drawing picture. of a horrible thing. <laughs> Scary picture. By the way, there were other books. Let me run you through all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 